Amos chapter 1, verse 1, and it reads as follows. The words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Let's pray before we get into today's verse. Dear God, thank you for gathering us here in your house to study your word, to learn your word, to make your word part of our lives, to make it so that we as a body are, you know, knowledgeable uh, concerning your teachings and your ways. Be with me now as I try to share that knowledge through speaking your voice and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we begin our Bible study, Sunday School, on the book of Amos. If you missed out last time, we wrapped up the book of Joel. The book of Joel was a short book, was it not? Three chapters only. We got through it in less than a year. Record speed. But it was a you know, pretty straightforward, pretty simple book. Again, if you missed out on all of it, the quick, quick five-second summary What is Joel about? Joel is about how God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And we saw it expressed throughout that whole book that everything all related back to that theme. First, through natural disaster examples about how God shows his power through that, through invasions and armies and how God controls the situation there, about how he called the people to repent, true repentance, right? Not just words of their mouth, but through their actions and the way they live their lives to repent. And showing again how powerful he is that if they had that repentance, restoration was promised to them. Restoration, restoration. And likewise, restoration to Israel and judgment on their enemies. Again, all this goes back to how powerful God is. Does it not? That God has the power to punish. God has the power to bless. God is God. That was the message of Joel. Today, we're going to the next, I think our third in the study of the minor prophets. The first one, if you remember, was Hosea. And the five-second summary of that one, in case you've forgotten, was we need to repent. Right? So Hosea, you need to repent. Joel, God is sovereign. What is Amos about? What is Amos about? Well, we'll be talking about this a lot over the next few months, years. I don't know how long it will take me to get through it. Amos is a bit longer than uh, Joel was. I think it's nine chapters. So it won't take us a bit longer to get through it. But if I had to give you the five-second summary, once again, the five-second summary, the thing that if you forget everything else and you don't know anything else about Amos, what is it you need to learn? Right? What's the one-sentence summary of what Amos is about? The one-sentence summary is about God's judgment is near. God's judgment is near. So we'll be studying a lot in the next few weeks, months, etc. about God's judgment. God's judgment. God's judgment on Israel. God's judgment on other countries. God's judgment. That's what Amos' focus is about. But today... We're not going to talk about that yet because we're going to do our introduction, right? We just did one verse. We read one verse. We got to know a little bit about the man first before we get into the message. It says in verse 1 that the words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, the herdmen of Tekoa. What does it mean that? Herdmen, you know, you guys know what a herd of animals is, right? That he tends to a herd. He's basically like a shepherd, right? 
be the shepherd. He cares for animals, right? We'll see later on in the book of Amos that another thing that he mentions is his job is that he collects fruits, right? So you can tell that this guy is kind of like a farmer, farmer type of guy, right? And he collects fruits. He tends to animals, right? That's his uh, background of who he is and what he does. And I want to point out uh, a little bit, a little, a little tidbit here, that you notice that God uses the word herd man, right? You know, like some people ask, why didn't they just call him a shepherd, right? That's the word they usually use in the Bible, right? He cares for sheep and stuff. That's a shepherd. I think it's intentional here, intentional here that God uses a different word, herd man. And it's a different word even in the Hebrew language. If you read this in the original Hebrew, it's a different word than the word that they use for shepherd. Why is that? It's to show that he really was just a simple herd man, right? Because sometimes you say shepherd, what does that mean? It could also mean you're like Jesus, the good shepherd, right? It could mean that you're some kind of like a spiritual guy, like a pastor or something. They're the shepherd of the flock. No, no, no. God makes it clear that he's just a regular old herd man, right? Herd man outside of Tekoa. Tekoa is this little city uh, south of Jerusalem, I think maybe 10 miles or so. Kind of close to Bethlehem, uh, roughly, you know, just a small town. Not, not like, a, not Jerusalem or whatever, but a smaller town, right? And uh, the timing, the timing of this book, it says this. It says this is in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So if you cross-reference this, and we're not going to spend a lot of time cross-referencing all this stuff today because, you know, that could get kind of intensive and stuff like that. But you look in the book of, uh, in the books of the Kings and the Chronicles, these names actually come up. And you know that this, this places him in a certain period, right? When did Amos teach? Amos taught in the period of the divided kingdom, right? Where there was the, the, the northern and the southern kingdom. And during the reign of these two kings here, Isaiah and Jeroboam. Now, without going into immense detail about what these two kings were like, we can say that generally during this period of time that Israel and Judah were generally okay. That would be my 10-second summary, right? That they weren't perfect. They still had sin, right? We know from the books of the Kings and Chronicles that a lot of it is just like a catalog of, oh, this guy was a king and he was wicked and the country was bad. This guy was a king, he was good and the country was better. I mean, this period was not a bad period for those people living in the time of Amos. And I think most people place this at around like 800, 700 BC, that kind of range. They speculate that this actually might be the, uh, the first of the uh, minor prophets, the oldest text, right? The, the, the earliest in chronological order. Is that 100% true? I have no idea, right? But that's what some scholars that I read about say. And this time, like I said, wasn't a horrible time, right? It wasn't like, oh, they were being invaded. It wasn't like, oh, they were having like a terrible famine. Although it does mention this earthquake. No one knows anything about this earthquake, right? But evidently, there was an earthquake at some time, two years after, whenever Amos gave this prophecy. But generally, a decent time, which makes it weird, right? For the listeners to hear about all this judgment that's coming, right? You say, oh, things are going okay, right? In Israel and Judah, things are going okay. Amos, you're coming here talking about judgment and stuff. I don't get it. I don't understand. Why are you talking about judgment, right? 
We're going to look at that in the coming weeks and try to figure out, oh, how accurate, how important Amos' message was for Israel back then, and how it also relates for us today. Because it does have a message for us today, too, just like we learned about all these other minor prophet books. It's not just some stuff in the middle of your Bible that we'll never look at and never care about. No, 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 no. They all have lessons for us to learn from, even us here today. The first of which I call your attention to Amos himself. Amos himself. As I mentioned, his background is really nothing special. A herd man from a small town, right? That's who he was. Now, I think it's important to point that out because he wasn't like some fancy priest, some well-educated scholar of the scriptures, or some kind of important guy like a king or whatever. He's just a regular guy. And I think it's very consistent with what we study in the Bible that God uses everybody for his work. Even some folks who are just regular guys, right? Just a regular guy. Nothing special about him. Just a shepherd, simple shepherd, fruit picker. That was him. But we look at all these other folks in the Bible. We see a large range of uh, people's occupations and things they do that God uses them all the same. You've been hearing Nathan talking about all the different disciples and their background. How many of them were just, just a fisherman, right? That's their job. You know, they didn't go to school and they aren't the most learned people about everything. I'm just a fisherman. But they serve God, serve God well, right? People who are just like a tent maker, like Paul. What's your job? I'm a tent maker. Not, not exactly the most impressive and, uh, and amazing thing, right? You're not going to wow people at the party saying, yeah, I built, make tents for a living, right? Not really, right? And we see it throughout, throughout the Bible that God doesn't just call on, you know, the, the, the elite, the special few, Although he does sometimes, right? There's plenty of stuff in the Bible about priests, right? We've got some people like Luke the physician, right? Mark the rich guy, as Nathan is like to say, right? You've got a whole variety of people serving God. I think that's the point. I think there's a point why Amos calls himself out a little bit at the start here. A reminder to all of us that even... The simplest guy, the regular guy, the just the guy, regular folk can do as much for God as anyone else. Can be even a prophet for God, speaking the message of God. Nowadays, when we look at the world, it's, a lot of things are very you know, elitist, right? Elitist. Oh, when people want to get into high society, right? You need to have a certain kind of background, a certain kind of, uh, you know, uh, connections and all these type of things if you want to make it up there, right? And I think I work in a field that I think is one of the most elitist of all, right? That it's very hard that if you want to get to the top, top, top of the legal profession, you know, you got to have like all this like elite and whatever type of background. There's a lot of talk about, for example, the Supreme Court nowadays, right? And Supreme Court nominees. It's no surprise that all the current people in the Supreme Court, what is their educational background? 
100% of them went to Ivy League schools, right? Basically, if you didn't go to no Ivy League school, what are your chances of making it on the Supreme Court one day? Pretty much close to zero. Why? Because how do you get to the top, top, top law firm? Well, how do you get to the top, top, top law firm? The top, top, top law firm people, they come, they recruit only at the top, top, top law school, right? So if you went to, I don't know, like Golden Gate School of Law, the people looking for the top, top, top people, they will never, ever in a million years come there and try to recruit you, and you'll never get into that, that kind of community. And if you're not in that community, you're not going to get into the right network, you're not going to move up, and so there's no way in a million, billion years you'll ever get to the Supreme Court or whatever. And that's true for me too. I'll never in a million, billion years become like a Supreme Court judge or whatever because I don't have that kind of background, right? Because the people that are the gatekeepers of that, oh, they, they are all that background. They want people with a similar background. They look at it like that. And that kind of culture is permeated into a lot of different things too. I hear, I hear, and I'm not in the field, but I know, I know people that are, that that's happening to the tech culture too now, right? Before the tech culture used to be like that where it's like, hey, you know, we're talking about like a decade or two ago, right? Where it's like, hey, you have skills. It doesn't matter where you're from. You can advance high. You can get to a great place, right? Didn't matter if you're San Jose State or, you know, Cal State, East Bay or whatever, right? Hey, you have skills. You can make it. But what's happened in the past five years, ten years maybe? Well, all these people keep graduating from like Stanford, Cal Berkeley, you name it, other big name schools with all these uh, computer science, electrical engineering degrees. And now who's the one getting the jobs? Well, people start favoring those people, right? That the people look at your resume out of school, like, oh, this guy went to Stanford, this guy went to San Jose State, which guy do we like better? You know, and oh, we like, the, we like the, uh, the Stanford guy better, right? So that's kind of like stratification we have in like the real world, right? Oftentimes, you see it over and over again. Oh, you got to be in the, in, the, in the select club, and that's how you get ahead. That's how you get into the, the, the ring, right? That's not God's way. God's far from it. God doesn't care what school you went to. God doesn't care who your friends are, how rich you were, what your background is. All that's meaningless to him. Because God is God. Let's go back to what we talked about in the last book. Remember, God is all-powerful, sovereign. To us, if you have even a million more dollars than the guy sitting next to you, to God, that is like an infinitesimal di- difference, right? God has more gold and jewels and wonders than all of us combined, right? right? For all the extra education you might have than the person sitting next to you, God's knowledge is infinite. He knows a billion times more than the smartest human, Right? What does it matter that you've got the PhD and this guy only has a bachelor's degree or this guy only graduated high school? God does not care. It makes no difference because all you guys are dumb compared to God. I'm dumb compared to God, right? God doesn't make those differentiations. God doesn't care about all these demarcations that humans have made, right? He uses anyone and everyone. Yet so many people, even today, are hesitant to serve God. They're hesitant to want to try to serve God because they feel that, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not the right person, right? I'm not whatever. I'm not spiritual enough. I don't know the Bible enough. I don't whatever. Those are just excuses. Those are excuses. God can use 
Every single one of us. It doesn't matter that you're not the best at the Bible or the smartest in school or the whatever. You look at the people we have here at church, right? All our speakers, you know, are not like, oh, high achieving, whatever went to like, you know, only like top, top schools or whatever, right? Some of them, they went to all, all sorts of places, right? Doesn't mean that everyone speaker, oh, you went to Lowell High School. Oh, Melvin, you went to Washington High School, right? I think one of the most, uh, uh, one of the most ridiculous things that happens here on a weekly basis, right, is when Nathan does his questions, right, to people. And he says, oh, what school did you go to? Like, did you go to Lowell High School? I'm going to ask the person that went to Lowell High School as if just because you went to Lowell High School means you have some kind of special insight into the Bible. We know that's not true. And we see it played out every time because he asked the person to go to Lowell High School and they get the answer wrong, right? You know, it happens every time where he goes like, oh, you went to UC Berkeley. Can you answer this obscure question about the Bible? And the person gets it wrong. Well, guess what? It's no surprise they get it wrong because what school you go to has no bearing whatsoever on our relationship with God, on our service of God, on our knowledge of God. It's really for all of us. It's all equal in that sense. That we all have a chance to serve and do that and go all do all these things. You want an example? Look at one of our very own missionaries that we're supporting, right? And he came to visit us at one time, Radford, right? To say that I can't do it, right? I'm not able to serve God. I didn't, you know, go to get the best training or the whatever, the best knowledge ever. Don't forget, Radford, once upon a time, had exactly the same Bible teaching as all of us here. He sat in the audience, just like all of us, listened to Nathan, listened to Melvin, right? And then, fast forward, decades later, now he's a missionary running a church in China and all these things. There's nothing special about him. He went to the same schools, same San Francisco public schools as all of you guys, right? He's just a regular guy. But he had that heart to serve God. The heart to go out and actually do it. That's a challenge for all of us here. It's not to hide behind an excuse. Because that's really what it is. It is an excuse to say, oh, you know, I don't really know enough Bible. I don't think I'm ready to go out there and be a witnesser yet. I don't think I'm ready out there to teach other kids, teach other people yet. I'm not ready to share yet. I'm not ready to give a testimony yet. I don't feel like I'm ready. It's all an excuse. You actually don't need to know all these things to be a servant for God. It's within all of us and a duty of all of us to go out and do it. Here's a secret about me. I don't think I know tons of stuff about the Bible. There's plenty of people in the world that know a lot, lot more about the Bible than I do. What do I do? Well, I just study ahead and try to stay one lesson ahead of all you guys, right? That's a secret, right? That I study, I try to read about it, I read it over and over again. A lot of times I don't understand it. I don't know, you know, if you asked me two months ago, what do I know about Amos? I would say, not that much, right? But, you know, I went there and I read it and tried to learn more about this guy, read it over and over again, think about it, pray about it, talk to God about it, and come up with something to say to all you guys today, right? It's not any kind of special knowledge that I have. Not really. I have not, I have not memorized these these scriptures and, and be able to say it to you, recite it off the top of my head and talk about all the cross-references and this and that. Nope, nope, nope. 
Not at all. Not one bit. There's nothing that I did that I'm sure any of you guys could do on your own, right? That you guys have the same ability as me to read the Bible with your own eyes, to you know, stare at stuff on the internet and see what some guy, other guy wrote about it, right? You guys can do that too, right? It's actually not that special. It's not that unique to have this kind of knowledge enough to share with other people. And so why don't we do it? The answer is that it's just excuses. If God can use someone as simple as simple shepherd, some guy like Amos, who never went to school in his life, whose job was so, so humble, and all he does is picking up fruits, tending to animals, day in, day out, probably like, you know, watching them poop and stuff like that. Nothing glorious about that at all, right? You can use that guy. You can use all of us, right? You can use all of us. We hide behind excuse of, oh, you know, I am unknowledgeable or whatever. And also the excuse that we are too busy, right? Oh, so yeah, maybe I can go out and get that knowledge. But you know what? I'm too busy. I'm like your college people. Oh, I'm in school. I have to study my school books, right? Oh, I'm, you know, working now or I have kids. I got to take care of this, take care of that. But you know, some of the hardest working people are folks like Amos, these blue collar people. Can you imagine if you lived back then and your whole life was just, your whole livelihood depends on, oh, I better keep these uh, sheep under control, right? I better make sure I'm out there collecting the fruits at the right time. We know that that's like a hard job too. That's not just like an easy thing. It's not like some of us, we sit behind a desk for 10 hours a day, right? And then you go home and that's it. I bet he's working all day long, right? Is he a busy guy? Was Amos a busy guy? I bet he was. Back then, without all the technology we have to do this kind of farming and animal herding, something like that, it was probably tough. He had that time to do that. Did he not, right? How labor-intensive do you think it was to be like a fisherman back in the days of like uh, Peter, right? These guys were busy too. We might say we're busy, we don't have time to learn all this stuff, to go teach others, to share with others. But you know, we have to make that time for him. Just like Nathan was talking the other day, right? About all the things that we make time for in our own lives. We make time for serving God. We should. Because if even the simple herd man, the simple shepherd could do it, why can't us? So we'll be hearing a lot more about the words of the shepherd, the words of this herd man, Amos, coming up in just a few weeks when I come back and talk about the rest of chapter one. But as we heard the bell, we are out of time for today. So right now we'll cut it off and end in a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you for giving us the book of Amos. We lo- hope that you bless us as we study it over the next months and months and give us uh, the insight and wisdom to learn from it. I think the first thing we see is that he was just a simple guy that was able to do your work and share your message. A lot of us here are all simple folks too. Nothing special about us. We're not the top of our profession or the smartest guy or whatever, but we know that you call us to serve just as much and to do your will and do your work. Encourage us, Lord. Encourage each and every one of us here to seek you, to do your will, to honor you, to follow your instruction. God, we ask your help with that. We ask your guidance on that. We thank you that we have the chance to do that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.